Gartner predicts that by 2025, at least 75% of IT organizations globally will face one or more attacks, as free-reign researchers document a dramatic increase in ransomware attacks during 2020, pointing to a sevenfold or even higher rates of growth. A one security specialist noted that ransomware attacks are often misunderstood, thought of as a single isolated attack similar to the 2016 WannaCry event. The reality, however, is that ransomware if possible, is deployed as part of a larger attack that may involve either penetration of a network, stealing of credentials for critical system accounts, attack on backup administration consoles, or data theft. In this podcast for Future CIO, we are speaking to Jonathan Jackson, Director of Engineering Asia Pacific and Japan at BlackBerry, on his observations and recommendations against ransomware in 2022. Jonathan, welcome back to Podchats for Future CIO. Alan, great to be here. Thanks for the time. What are the characteristics of a ransomware and has it changed from before the pandemic? So we have seen ransomware change. It's become a lot more sophisticated over the last 24 months. So, you know, prior to the pandemic, uh, ransomware was a thing for sure. But we've seen threat actors really pivot to recognizing that this is an incredibly lucrative business to be in. And ransomware actors are actually now running it as a business. So we're starting to see ransomware as a service and affiliations come into to play where it's actually quite easy for anybody to deploy ransom on a target um, and on a system using stolen credentials or a phishing campaign. So the, the attacks have become more bold. They've been, it's become incredibly lucrative and it's really fueled now a, a, a big market and a really big challenge for APAC organizations. What else is catalyzing this growth in ransomware attacks in our region, in Asia Pacific and Japan? So there are a number of things that we see, Ellen. I think um, you know one of them is just the challenges that organizations face in this now, this new hybrid world. So pretty much overnight, once the pandemic hit, organizations suddenly had the whole organization working from home, right? So everybody went to work from home. And security teams really struggled to, to adapt to that model because they were so used to allowing access to corporate capabilities and credentials and authentication you know, effectively in the corporate office. And then suddenly now you've got everybody trying to access the same stuff, but from a unsecured home network or Wi-Fi network or whatever it is. This has led organizations and security teams certainly to have to build in loopholes. So they've had to allow for VPN access all over the place or what we call RDP protocols, which is remote desktop protocols to be able to get access to systems. And this has led to an attack surface, which has substantially exploded. Over the last 24 months, the attack surface for cyber criminals to gain access to information has really, really grown. And this has become a very big challenge for security organizations to try and patch their systems and to try and maintain control of the corporate perimeter which is now distributed. Information security and cybersecurity isn't something new. We've been doing this for years now. Why is the current detect and respond approach to cybersecurity inadequate against the ransomware Mm. actors and their evolving tactics? It's a good point. Cybersecurity has been around for a long time. I've been involved in cybersecurity for a better part of 20 years. So it's a good question. Why are we getting it so wrong and why do we continue to get it so wrong? I think part of it is just to maybe look back at a little bit of a, a history, not necessarily a lesson, but just a review of where we've come from. And, you know, traditional antivirus companies, which are what we call legacy AV companies, you know, had the ability to be able to find a patient zero, in other words, somebody who has been compromised, be able to find what that attack looked like and, and create a signature for that. And then they build these signatures into their capability of then being able to detect that system. Now, that traditional AV process with signature-based solutions is no longer and hasn't been able to keep up with the sheer number of malware variants that are created 
every single day. We see on average about 400,000 new variants of malware created globally every single day. Now, if you're trying to create a signature for every single one of those zero day attacks, you are way behind the curve and there's no way you can keep up. We've started you know, over the last three to five years, some additional capability coming into that space around things like sandboxing and heuristics and you know, early math models, as well as potentially using AI. And that has really helped us. But effectively, the industry has kind of given up on prevention. They don't believe in preventing an attack. What they do now is they've created something called Endpoint Detection Response or EDR, which is a tool which allows you to mitigate the attack once it's actually happened and find it and threat hunt and stop the breach after it's occurred. And I think the, the challenge needs to be here is, is finding the balance between the two because just relying purely on EDR isn't going to meet the, the needs of organizations going forward because effectively you're, you're allowing somebody to initiate attack against you. So we do ne still need to use prevention-based capabilities and we were starting to see in the industry anyway, you know, a number of key security vendors who are able to now proactively prevent a, an attack from happening pre-execution, which I think is the key going forwards. What does a Correct. prediction and prevention approach look like and how can it prevent mm -hmm. far more complex and organized threats, uh, the ones that we don't know of? So what we've effectively done is um, we look at building in a, a math model, a very powerful and huge mathematical model of known good and known bad. So for example, you could take all of the, the Microsoft files, which are known good files, and then you can mix those in with known bad files. And AI and well, math models are able to vectorize and we can train math models to be able to predict very, very accurately what is good and what is bad. So that when a file drops onto a system, whatever it is, even if it's been renamed and repackaged, to look like outlook.exe or winword.exe, that file may in fact be a piece of ransomware. And because of the, the features that are in that file, we are able to convict that file pre-execution and know that it is actually bad. So this is how we're kind of doing it now. We have math models that learn and grow and get better and better at being able to predict. And then the math models will then fight with the next generation of math model to make sure that the efficacy and the effectiveness of that math model supersedes the next one. My organization that I I work for has been we're now in the seventh year of the iterations of the math model so these things are getting very very good at effectively preventing attacks from happening and we see around about a 98 percent effective rate so stuff does get through there is nobody out there who can say that they're 100 percent effective but prevention absolutely is possible using machine learning and artificial intelligence for the last year or so, we've been hearing the word zero trust and zero trust framework thrown mm -hmm. into the mix for as far as uh, cybersecurity is concerned. Would adoption of a zero trust framework strengthen an organization specifically against ransomware attacks? So it, it absolutely would. Zero trust is something to strive for. So APAC organizations, you know, across the region really should be looking at their cyber resilience strategy and boards out there should be questioning their team's ability to start looking at a zero trust model. Zero trust, though, is a little bit of an overhyped term because not many people really understand what it means. And it's important to try and unpack it and bring it down to a non-technical term anyway. It basically means that I need to authenticate me as an 
individual, the app that I'm using, the file that I'm getting access to, the cloud-based system I'm trying to deposit files to, the email system that I'm, the, the laptop that I'm on, the way that I use my keyboard. I need to authenticate myself at every single time because at its fundamental, zero trust means you trust nothing. Everything has to earn the trust to be able to gain access to that system because overall, we need to think that everything is bad. So you need to be able to find a model which is going to help you to authenticate every person, every piece of data, every application, etc. on your system. But certainly to answer your question, yes, zero trust is a very healthy thing for organizations from a strategy perspective to look at to try and adopt more rigor into their cyber resilience strategy. Now, you just said it, adapt more rigor. So beyond zero trust, is there anything else that organizations, including CISO, CISOs, need to mm-hmm. do in order to, I mean, we're coming into the new year, I mean, in order to protect themselves even better? Yeah, so we're starting to see a bit of a change in the industry. You know, you talked earlier about endpoint detection response or EDR solutions, you know, which there are many vendors out there. And what we're starting to see now is the adoption of something called XDR, which stands for Extended Detection Response. It's yet another security acronym, which is hard to really define. But at its core, XDR is really looking at the correlation of multiple different pieces of construct or feeds that come into a data lake where you can then start to correlate information on and make informed decisions on that data lake. So an example of that would be bringing feeds in from your antivirus, your SIEM solution, your IPS, your IDS. It could be from your, your email systems, from your firewalls, from your identity systems, bringing all of this information into something that can help you make an informed decision. And we're starting to see these XDR solutions coming out now. And I think 2022 will really be you know, the start of some, something where certainly you know, security organizations who are time poor is a massive skills gap. They've got alert fatigue, there are too many alerts, too much noise. And we, re- we as security vendors anyway, really need to help organizations reduce the noise, uh, reduce the complexity and let math models or machines make decisions for us in terms of the threats that exist out there in the world today. And we're coming into the end of the year. 2021 is going to say bye-bye to 2021. We're expecting 2022 to be even more, uh, how should I say, exciting on the perspective of cybersecurity. What can we expect in 2022? And what should enterprises be doing in anticipation of that? Of course, we're talking about cybersecurity, right? And mm. I mean, look, I think we recently released a threat report, as many organizations do, and, and the trends and the predictions in there can vary to a certain degree. But what is clear is that ransomware is not going anywhere. So ransomware will continue to be a massive thorn in everybody's side. And the sophistication of those attacks is going to continue to evolve. So we're seeing, you know, state-backed sponsored groups, as well as advanced persistent threat groups, really fine-tuning the ways that they're attacking. And that's going to be a lot more difficult to stop. We're also seeing some interesting changes as it pertains to tool sets that are now widely available, what I would call low-level crimeware um, organizations are starting to make use of. So one of those tool sets is fairly well known to the cyber industry is called Cobalt Strike. And Cobalt Strike is a very powerful tooling platform, which is typically used by penetration testers to try and get access to a network. Now, Cobalt Strike is so powerful and it's so easy to use that we're now starting to see a number of crimeware syndicates now using those tools against us. And that's a really, really 
a big challenge. So, you know, the tools are being used against us. The the threats are evolving. The sophistication of the threats are, are re- continuing to evolve. And it's not just ransomware. Phishing attacks are getting much more clever. I've seen at least five or six examples this week alone in Australia of phishing campaigns, which are highly targeted, uh, specific verticals, and very, very successful in their execution. So I'm expecting 2022 to be a very challenging year. There's no question. What about from an organization process point of view, what should they be doing in order to help at least mitigate these cyber attacks beyond employing the latest and greatest technology and or managed security services? Operationally, what should they be looking at to do? You're absolutely right. Tools are only going to get you so fast. You can get every single security vendor in there. It's not going to help because at some level, there is going to be a challenge with insider threat or malicious intent or employees just basically doing the wrong thing, right? So we still see the weakest link at the moment is still the people, right? So continuing to help with regards to cyber education, awareness training, gamification, all of those things are very important to make sure that your organization is staying what I call cyber fit. So look at initiatives within your organization that can really help you to do that. I think it does help, you know, you mentioned managed detection services or MDR services. A lot of organizations that I speak to today just literally don't have the time and the resources and the skills to be able to to build this resilience in. So there are a number of organizations out there who can help you do that. We're starting to see an explosion of that happening across APAC, not only in my organization, but but other security vendors. We can run SOCs for you, security operation centers, and we can be your 24 by 7 with response and attack prevention mechanism to be able to effectively help you to sleep at night. One thing that has become interesting, you talked about trends, Alan, earlier. We're seeing a very, very big challenge now with Friday afternoon, typically, and Saturday mornings. Often Saturday morning in APAC because that tends to be Friday afternoon elsewhere in the world because cyber criminals know that people go off work on Friday afternoon and we're seeing a massive ramp up in attacks that are happening over the weekend and organizations are just not prepared for that, right? Having somebody who can deal with us 24 by 7 by 365 for you will definitely help you certainly sleep a little bit better at night, but it certainly help you get your weekends back as well, which is also going to be quite important. Very true. I understand cyber criminals don't take holiday. Actually, they work even harder during holidays. <laughs> they do indeed. Yes. Jonathan, thank you very much for joining us on Podchats for Future CIO. Great. Thank you for having me, Alan. It's really been good to see you again. That was Jonathan Jackson, Director of Engineering Asia-Pacific and Japan for BlackBerry on the topic of bracing for ransomware in 2022. You are listening in to podcasts for future CIO. As always, if you have a topic you'd like us to cover on this channel, simply email us at editors at society.com. We'd also like to invite you to sign up for a free weekly newsletter so you won't miss an episode of Podchats for Future CIO. In the meantime, stay safe, have a great day, and see you on the next episode of Podchats for Future CIO. Bye for now.